we are in a series that I've called What's Next? With an exclamation point and not with a question mark, because I believe God in his word has told us what is next. What is his prophetic timeline? What is he planning to do for his own glory and namesake? Just by quick review, we've said that we are currently in an age of grace that is also called the church age. This is an age in which whosoever will may come to Christ for salvation, an age that uh, dominates the church of Jesus Christ, the body and bride of Christ, of which this is but one expression, that we are the primary vehicle of blessing, delivering the gospel, and making disciples in this church age. The church age will end. We do not have a date. We have an event that will end the church age, and the end of the church age will be the rapture of the church. That miraculous, in the twinkling of an eye, return of Jesus Christ to earth's atmosphere to lift the bodies that have been interred in graves, the born-again believers, to resurrect those bodies, and then seconds, fractions of a second after that event, to catch up and to translate those of us as born-again believers who remain alive at the coming of the rapture return of Jesus. The rapture ends the church age. We don't know when it is, but I've stated publicly that I think it's soon. I don't know a date, but I can see the seasons and current events. We need to labor because night's coming, said in John 9. So the rapture of the church ends the church age and begins the next dispensation or economy in God's plan, which is the tribulation. The tribulation is a time of intense judgment against sin, seven years worth on earth. I don't believe the church will go through the tribulation. All of the church will be raptured before the tribulation. The seven years of tribulation will end with another return of Christ, not a rapture return to earth's atmosphere, but this time a second coming return where Jesus returns to Palestine, specifically the Mount of Olives, and sets up his righteous kingdom of 1,000 years. We call it the millennium, and will sit literally on David's throne on the Temple Mount, which by that point will be repossessed by Israel. After... A thousand years, a millennial rule and reign of Christ, where Satan is arrested and confined to a pit for a thousand years, not to wreak havoc on earth. At the end of that thousand years, he will be released. Christ will release Satan, and Satan will essentially say, who hates King Jesus? Who wants to get him off the throne of the universe? And it says in Revelation 19 that the number of rebels who will rise up when Satan is freed to try to take out King Christ, will be innumerable, more than the sands of the seashores. Shows us that the problem we have is not an environmental problem with sin, it's a heart problem. After Satan is released and tries to a coup d'etat of King Jesus, there'll be a final battle that Jesus will win by the word of his mouth, not scud missiles, not tanks, not nuclear weapons, the word of his mouth, the same word that spoke the universe into existence, that word Christ will speak and all of his opponents will be slayed, Revelation 19. After the final battle comes the great white throne judgment where all of the unbelieving in Christ dead from all the eras and epochs of human history, from the Garden of Eden forward, will be paraded before King Jesus, now Judge Jesus, and he will judge them according to their deeds that he has kept track of in his book. And their names will not be found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, so they're standing at the great white throne judgment. 
And, say, and Jesus Christ will sentence them individually to a conscious suffering torment in a literal hell with degrees of punishment depending on their deeds recorded in the books. After the great white throne judgment, the, this current earth and heaven will be incinerated and melted beyond recognition, and God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and that will be the eternal state that will go on forever and ever without end. And if you know Christ as Savior, you'll be a part of that new heaven and that new earth, eternity. That's the scope. That's what God's up to. That's what's next. Now, coming back to church age, ended by the rapture event, there's something that goes on in heaven simultaneous to the judgments of God through the seven years of tribulation on the earth. And what goes on in heaven while the tribulation judgments go on on the earth is the bema, the judgment seat of Christ. This will be an evaluation of all of our good works We've already had a partial sermon on this event, and I'm going to conclude what the Bible says about the Bema or the judgment seat of Christ in this sermon. But just to be distinct and clear, the rapture is one return. The second coming of Christ is a second return. They're separated by seven years. During that seven years in heaven, believers are evaluated to be given reward in the millennial kingdom or not to be given reward in the millennial kingdom, while on earth, those who are not raptured because they were not saved will be judged. Revelation chapters 4 through 19. So let's resume our study. And if you weren't here for the first sermon, not to worry, I will review. The question is, at the Bema, at the judgment seat of Christ, when we individually appear before Judge Jesus and he evaluates the worth of our good deeds done for him, some will be rewarded good works, those that are inflammable, and other good works that seem good on earth will not stand the test of fire at the Bema, and they will be consumed, and they will not bring reward to the Christian who did them. So what is the reward? What is the reward to be gained at the Bema, and what is the reward to be withheld or lost at the Bema? Well, the first thing I want to say in John chapter 10 is that what is lost at the Bema is not your salvation. What's lost at the judgment seat of Christ is no believer's salvation. Because our salvation is rooted in God's grace, rooted in God's grip on us, and not rooted in our grip on God. Aren't you glad? And so what is not lost at the Bema Judgment Seat of Christ evaluation is salvation for the Christian. Jesus said in John 10, 27 to 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish, never. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here's the deal, look here. You, if you are saved, are in Jesus Christ's nail-scarred hand, and he's got you safe to keep you saved. That's security enough. But God the Father, in his figurative hand, he doesn't have a hand because he's spirit, but in Jesus' teaching, figuratively speaking, God the Father's hand puts you into Jesus' hand in the first place. 
Christ closes his nail-scarred hand to keep you safe in your salvation, but then God the Father's figurative hand comes over God the Son's literal hand, and you are doubly secure. No one can break God's grip upon you if you are saved, not even you yourself. So what's not lost at the Bema for Christians who lose there is salvation. But what are we talking about gaining or losing in the judgment seat of Christ? Go with me to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15. One of the central passages in the New Testament on this judgment seat of Christ, this evaluation of believers going on in heaven while the tribulation is going on on earth. And 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15, we jump into the passage a little bit, but this is what it says. If any man's work, which he has built upon it, that's the foundation of Christ, he shall receive reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as through fire. So here's what's going to happen, brothers and sisters. At the judgment seat of Christ, the person ahead of you who's going to be individually evaluated, their good works may be burned up and there's no reward. They retain their salvation, but they lose their reward. But just so we won't miss it, verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, that is of reward for the millennial kingdom, but he himself shall be saved. Can't lose your salvation. So as to fire. So this is very important. The bema, the judgment seat of Christ, of which I am preaching this morning, is not a heaven and a hell judgment. That's been settled already on earth with what you did or didn't do with Jesus Christ while you were alive. So the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, is not the heaven or hell judgment. It's the Christian rewarded or not rewarded in the millennial kingdom judgment. So as I said in the introduction, we've got the church age, the rapture, tribulation, second coming, millennium, final battle, great white throne judgment in the eternal state. So that means we have two returns of Jesus, don't we? We have a rapture return that ends the church age and kicks off the seven years of tribulation. And then after the seven years of tribulation, we have the second coming return of Christ to the earth to set himself up on David's throne to rule, literally to rule a kingdom of God on earth. It's the answer to the model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In that millennial kingdom, how God's will is done now in heaven will be done on earth because Jesus will see to it. So there are two returns. The rapture return could happen at any time. In contrast, the second coming return will only occur after the seven years of tribulation on the earth. Going back to the rapture, it takes believers only up and out. The second coming leaves believers on earth and it opens the door for them entering the thousand year kingdom of Christ we call the millennium on earth. So we don't want to miss that the reward, which is either given to Christians at the judgment seat of Christ or not given to Christians at the bema or the judgment seat of Christ, is an inheritance within the millennial kingdom. An inheritance. You do know that it's not the same to enter the kingdom of Christ as it is to inherit it. All true believers in Jesus, rewarded or unrewarded at the Bema, will enter the kingdom. But only rewarded Christians at the Bema will inherit it. The house we sold in Pennsylvania. 
We enjoyed being hospitable to our friends and our church family. And we would ask many people in seven years, we asked many people to come into our house. They entered our house at our invitation. But not one of them is going to inherit our house. They're not on our deed. To enter the kingdom is not the same as inheriting it. All Christians will enter the kingdom, but not all Christians will inherit the kingdom. And I'm going to show you what the scriptures teach in a parable that Jesus taught about this in this sermon about this. It is possible for us to have sadness and shame at the beam of the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 John 2, verse 28, we read, And now, little children, so you know he's speaking to born-again Christians, and now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Some of us are going to shrink away at the rapture return of Christ and have embarrassment and a lack of confidence because we've wasted our life's potential and did things that Jesus Christ didn't deem as worthwhile. Again, 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shirk back away from him in shame at his coming. And so, did Jesus teach about this? Yes, he did. There is a parable, if you want to go in your Bibles, to Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, if we, when, as you find it, let me give you a reminder or perhaps a new insight that a parable is a combination of two Greek words. Para means alongside. The Holy Spirit's called the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help. Para and bole. Para means alongside. Bole is the verb to throw. So when Jesus taught a parable, he, he brought heavenly truth alongside earthly story, and he taught with that. So we have a parable. We have earthly truth with heavenly truth. So the earthly truth story stands in need of interpretation. Let me say it a different way. A parable, all the parables of Jesus Christ were earthly stories with heavenly meanings that stood in need of proper interpretation. And so when we come to Luke chapter 19, beginning of verse 12, this parable is no different. It is, uh, has heavenly meaning, an earthly story, and it stands in need of proper interpretation. And what we're going to see here is help to know what will be flammable good deeds at the Bema or the judgment seat of Christ and why, and what will be inflammable good deeds at the judgment seat of Christ and why, what good deeds that you do will be re unrewarded good deeds and why, and what good deeds you have done in your life will be rewarded good deeds and why in this parable. It's a sobering parable. I'm beginning to read at Luke chapter 19 and verse 12. He, Christ, said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself 
and then return. Clearly, the nobleman in the parable is Christ himself, and the distant country is earth with respect to heaven. The king, the nobleman who lived for all eternity in the splendors of heaven, went to a distant country in his incarnation. He came to earth. The nobleman is Christ, the distant country is earth, and the kingdom is the literal coming thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth. Verse 13. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, they were coins, and said to them, do business with this until I come. And so the nobleman Christ summons ten of his servants, that's you and me, uh, ten average and typical believers, I would think, and each one of these servants got one mina. And the mina in this parable is one life's potential. You realize that? You've been given one life's potential. Every one of us, in the sound of my voice, has been given by our Creator and our Redeemer one life's potential. And so he called these ten slaves, the nobleman did, and he gave each one of them one life's potential, or one mina, coin, and the nobleman had an expectation. And so does Jesus. The nobleman expected that each of his slaves would use their lives' potentials for him. Because he said, do business with your particular mina. God says this morning to you and me, you have one life's potential. Do business, my business, with your life's potential. 14 and 15. Well, finishing 13. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about that when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. That's the bema, the judgment seat of Christ. He called the ten servants, why? In order that he might know what business they had done. All of the slaves had to live out all of their lives' potentials, that is in the parable, manage their own particular mina, in the same work conditions, in the same work conditions where the persons in those conditions hated Jesus and the nobleman. That's you and me, right? And next, all of the 10 slaves faced an eventual evaluation, one by one evaluation. And he, the nobleman or Christ, ordered that those slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. Will you notice with me, please, that the 10 slaves didn't choose to be evaluated? They didn't say, yeah, I like to be evaluated. They were ordered to be evaluated. They were summoned to the nobleman, just as we all will be summoned to the judgment seat of Christ. At the beam of the judgment seat of Christ is exactly what it's going to be like. You and I will be ordered to appear before the judgment seat of Christ for the Lord Jesus Christ himself to evaluate, quote, our business done for him. On with the parable. 
Verse 16. And the first slave appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. The first slave in the parable was very faithful. He invested his one mina, and he earned ten minas. His life potential was very, very well realized. And there will be some Christians at the judgment seat of Christ who will be revealed by the judge to be very, very faithful and very, very fruitful. And these believers will be rewarded. These believers will be allowed both to enter the millennial kingdom of a thousand years and even to inherit a part of that kingdom as a reward. Verse 17. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. What will the reward look like for the faithful, fruitful Christian after the beam of judgment seat of Christ? When the kingdom of Jesus Christ of 1,000 years in length takes place, they, we will have delegated authority under King Christ over some aspect of the kingdom. Cities, regions, counties, countries, I don't know. Jesus used cities here. And the second, that is slave, came saying, your mina master has made five minas. So the second slave didn't earn 10 minas, he earned five, verse 19. And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. The first man in the millennium is to be over 10 cities. The second man in this uh, parable is to be over five cities. And another, another slave servant came to the nobleman Christ in the parable saying, master, Behold your mina, which I kept away and put in a handkerchief. This person took his life's potential to serve the nobleman, and he put it in a handkerchief, and he did nothing. Why would he do that? 21. For I was afraid of you, because you're an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. That's bad theology. He said, I'm afraid of you. And so I'm going to take my life's potential, my one mina, and I'm just going to squirrel it away over here and just hang on for dear life. This servant slave was timid. He was suspicious. He doubted his master's goodness. He played it safe with his life's potential. He didn't do much, and the little that he did do was done for the wrong reasons. That is fear. The right reasons to serve the nobleman, by the way, is not fear, but faith. Not fear, but love. And so clearly, this servant who feared and doubted the goodness of his nobleman master and didn't do anything with his life's potential... Whatever he had to give at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, it burned up. Wood, hay, and stubble. Not to be rewarded. Not to enter the coming future kingdom of Christ to expect any inheritance, just entrance. And some Christians, I hope not many, will hear this truth 
and they will say, I'm just content to get inside the door of the kingdom. Good enough for me. I'll just bury my talent. I'll put my mina in a handkerchief because I'm not sure God is good. And I'm fearful. And so they say, I'll just step in the door of the kingdom unrewarded. May it not be any of us. There will be some believers who at the judgment seat of Christ will see through tears that the life's potential that they were given after conversion was frittered away in a handkerchief. There will be tears. They'll be saved. They'll go into the kingdom. They'll go into the eternal state. But there will be embarrassment and sorrow. You say, Pastor Rob, the Holy Spirit is convicting me. I'm 60 years old, and I've known Christ for 40 years. And the truth be told, I've been taking the mina of my life's potential, and I've been putting it in a handkerchief because somehow I really doubt if God is good. What's, what's your hope for me? Are you breathing? Is your heart beating? Do you have life on loan from God still? Then there's hope. Repent. Stop playing it safe. Stop being lazy. Stop being about your own agenda instead of Christ. Get on with it. Jesus is going to say to me and to each of you and to each born-again Christian, Jesus is going to say, what business did you do for me? Is there a Sunday school class to bring your children to? Is there a mini church to co-lead next season? Is there a coworker where you work or a neighbor on your street that's going to hell and you realize it without Christ and you say nothing? Jesus says, do business. What business have you done for me? Serious stuff. There will be some suffering Christians at the Christ Judgment Seat or Bema. Some will suffer embarrassment. Some will suffer shame. Some will suffer a lack of confidence. Some will suffer having their bad theology, had to, they have to say their bad theology out loud to Jesus Christ's questions of them. I didn't know if you were good. I played it safe. I put my life's potential in a handkerchief. 20 to 21 again. And another came saying, Master, behold your mina, which I've kept away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. I take, you take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. Bad theology. If you look at verse 24, looks at 22. He, the nobleman, Christ, said to him, by your own words, I will judge you a worthless slave. Did you not know that I'm an exacting man? So when the man called the nobleman exacting, the, the nobleman Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm, I'm not exacting, because he is exacting. 
We're saved by grace through faith. We're kept safely saved by grace through faith. But God wants us to do business, his business. He's exacting. Some Christians are going to find out that the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, is a lot more exacting than they counted on him being. But again, the past is the past. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, that's our mindset today. You can't change the past, but you can do something that honors Christ, the nobleman, with your future. The first sermon on the judgment seat of Christ presented 10 points about the judgment seat of Christ, and this sermon, part two, only presents one additional point. Here are the points. I'm not going to preach them. I'm just going to read them. Number one, no Christian will be excused from this evaluation. Number two, it will be a revealing of our good works and a revealing of their good works quality. Three, it will be evaluations of individual Christians. Four, it will be an evaluation of each Christian's individual good deeds. Five, each good deed done will either be judged worthwhile or worthless. Remember, they all look good to us around you. All the things that I do that are good, you say, boy, that was good what pastor did. But when I stand before Christ, Christ is going to say of some of my things that you thought were good and I may have thought were good, Jesus is going to say it was worthless. Six, for each of us, each of our good deeds will be evaluated by fire. Seven, some of our good deeds will prove to be inflammable. They will not burn up, and these good deeds will be rewardable. Eight, some of our good deeds will prove to be flammable. They will burn up. These good deeds will be unrewardable. Nine, it is the quality of each good deed that will be evaluated. Each good deed's quality will be judged either to be worthwhile or worthless based on some biblical measurements I suggested last sermon. Some biblical measurements help us know what Jesus is going to say was a worthwhile good deed and what Jesus will say, that's a good deed, but it's worthless. Ready? Some biblical measurements. Was the deed done for God's glory? Two, was the deed done with a heart up to date with respect to forgiving others? Three, was the deed done in prayerful dependence on God? Four, was the deed done in humility? Five, was the deed done with gratitude? Six, was the deed done with faith placed in God? Ten, the evaluation is not one about heaven or hell. Eleven, any shame at the Bema is in front of both the judge, Jesus, and in front of other Christian bystanders. I hope when you go to lunch today that you won't talk about earthly things with your children. I hope you talk about this truth. When you pick up the phone later this afternoon to phone a friend in the church, I hope you won't talk about the weather or the price of milk, but you'll talk about this truth. What are some applications? Two of them. 
Recognize that your good works are unique to you. Don't compare your Christian service to anyone else's. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. Don't compare your good works to anyone else's good works, because the good works for both of you are unique to you. Second, each day, get up and say, God, I want to use my life's potential as found in this day in the right way, doing the right things. You could say, God, I want to live today, Monday, May the 22nd. I want to live today living out God-honoring core values that Jesus lived with. What are they? We come back to the questions, the diagnostic questions I've just given you about whether you know your good works are rewardable or unrewardable. So what is the, what is the way that Jesus lived each day? What is the way that he calls us to live each day if we would be rewarded at the beam of judgment seat of Christ? There's a pie graph we're going to show you. And the slices of the pie graph are these. Do it for God's glory. Do it with prayer. Do it with humility. Do it with gratitude. Give, do it with faith. And do it with forgiving others. If you will seek to live out that pie each morning, your mina will not be put in a handkerchief. And what will make it possible to live out that pie? The Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't say, I'm just going to do it. The Holy Spirit has to do it through you and through me. We need to ask our questions at the incredible body of Christ, this ministry. What would stop if the Holy Spirit stopped ministering? What would stop if the Holy Spirit stopped ministering? The answer better be everything. If anything would go on without the Holy Spirit, would hay and stubble. Let me make it more personal. We need to ask, I'll ask for myself, God, what would stop in my life if the Holy Spirit stopped working? And I need to say everything. And if I don't say everything, and certain things I do would carry right on without the Holy Spirit doing it through me, then that is wood, hay, and stubble. I know that none of you, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, want to stand before Judge Jesus at the great, at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, with any embarrassment with any timidity, with any bad theology. Or rather, you all like me, we want to stand in that evaluation and have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Have charge over five cities. The only way that's going to happen for some of us is if we repent for how we've been living as Christians. The only way that that's going to happen, if some of us who have been living in the power of the Holy Spirit and serving with the right motivations, if we will commit to do so till the day we die. You can't change the past. You can only go forward putting this truth into practice in the future. And I pray, God, that I would, and I pray, God, that you would. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that with your calling comes your enabling, and that you have not left us as orphans, Lord Jesus, but that you've given us the Holy Spirit to live within us permanently, to convict us of sin and to empower us for Christian living and to check our motivations and our motives, to correct our bad theology, to remove our doubts about you. Lord, the last thing I would like to see is that this plain truth sermon would paralyze anybody, would give them a fatalistic outlook that I've lived too long the wrong way, I might as well just give up. Lord, thank you that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, when Calvary Bible Church saints stand perhaps together in the infinitely long line to be evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ, may none of us be experiencing shame, embarrassment, timidity, or bad theology. And Lord, in your grace, would you even reward us with an inheritance element in the kingdom. Hear our prayers, for they are offered from sincere hearts, in and by and through the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.